Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterward, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came up and touched the, the beard, and the bearer stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Fear seized them all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Sam. All right, well, good morning again. My name's Sean. Uh, If I don't know you, I'm the lead pastor, teach pastor here for Redemption Uh, Peoria Redemption Church is nine congregations spread throughout the state of Arizona. Uh, Peoria and all the other congregations were elder-led, lead pastor-led. We have really deep philosophical convictions about how we operate as a church. Uh, We'd love to help you navigate that if you have any questions. Myself and some of the other leaders will be by the Connect desk, which when you go out, it's to the right. Help you navigate any of that stuff. Um, I'm going to jump in uh, to our text here in a second, but I just want to give a little bit of... um, uh, on-ramp for us. I, I think John did a great job setting us up for this series. Uh, this series is a little bit uh, goofy. If, if you are new, know, know that we feel like the best way to understand the Bible is to teach it verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and just go through it, okay? And what we'll find and what we have found over the last couple months, if you've been coming, is um, we, we haven't been doing that exactly the way that we say that. It's like, well, we really believe in this, but we don't do it. Um, but, but uh, in, in all honesty, this series is uh, a little niche thing that we feel like is important and true to the way that the narrative of Scripture can still play out. Meaning, um, what we're going to do for the next roughly about 100 days, uh, 15 weeks, is we are going to look at the person of Jesus in the Gospels. Okay? We're not going to just go through Luke or Matthew or Mark or John. Uh, we're going we're gonna to look at certain stories. Now, you could do this for about 50 uh, uh, different in, in, encounters, but we're going to only, uh, we pick, you know, select few. And as we look at these encounters, just know exegetically a few things on this. And maybe you feel like I don't need to defend this, but I do just so, so you're aware. Even when you read the gospels, if you're not aware of this, um, they're actually not in chronological order. The gospels are r- written intentionally, right? MacArthur actually wrote a book, the gospel of Jesus on this exact idea that when you read it, um, say, take for example, Luke, he's putting all of the miracles together, all the healings together, all the parables together, all the synoptic gospels do that. There's intentionality written towards Jews, intentionality written towards Gentiles. And so what we're doing is we're looking at these um, encounters that Jesus has with people and we're trying to embrace like what it looks like to look at the man Jesus Christ, okay? Because let, let me just say this up, up, up front for the series. We don't believe Jesus is just God. Yes and amen. He is God. Yes and amen to that. But he is also the perfect human. Do you understand? So if you want to look at somebody go, who was the perfect person to be like? Who is the perfect human? Not just sinless, but perfect in every way. Who would that be? It's Jesus Christ. 
And so we want to look at his life and ask, how can we emulate it? This is why we are Christians. We follow Christ. So Albert Einstein, there's a great interview, which Einstein's always, you know, especially in youth groups, he's always uh, like Albert Einstein said. It's like, well, then he must, you know, must be right. But this was great. Albert Einstein was not a believer uh, for sure. Uh, but I, I thought this was uh, pretty compelling what he said. He said, I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase mongers, however artful. No man can read the Gospels without feeling the, feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. So there's a statement in there that I really like. Jesus is too colossal for the pen of phrase mongers, however artful. So let's, be, let's just call it what it is. For a long time, and a lot even today, there's these pithy ways, 10-minute video on YouTube that we're trying to dismiss who Jesus is, right? And, and we think we arrive at something, but Jesus is constantly on the scene. He's not going anywhere. He's just not going anywhere. And no matter how pithy or artful or how smart or wise you think you are, it is hard to not look at the person of Jesus and go, wow. Wow. And that's his point, right? And so that's what we're going to do. For the next hundred years, we want to, no matter what, again, pen of any phrase monger, however artful they are, uh, get at. Which means a few things as we go through this series. Um, We tend to do a lot of things with Jesus as individuals and culturally. Meaning you have liberation theologies as the liberals will press it into and Jesus is this type of figure. You have this other like Republican Jesus who looks a lot like a middle class white American always. It's weird, right? And so whatever it is, there's this, we grab onto Jesus, how we want to grab onto Jesus and hold fast to him, right? This is, we want him to look like us. And, and we feel like we could kind of step back and go, see, there's a glimpse here. See, this is what Jesus like. This is what Jesus like, but we don't do the hard work and study. A great example of this is, um, over Christmas break, I don't know if your kids were like this, but my kids were like this. They were bums the whole time, okay? And so I woke up one day, I was like, no more, right? And so I wrote a chore list on a piece of paper. Corbin, do 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 Titus, do 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 Eve, do 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 And yes, Anna, she's two, but do 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 Hers was, don't make a mess, um, okay? So I give him this chore list, and I go to work, and then I come back, and Titus didn't do one of his jobs. And the reason he didn't do one of his jobs is because his dad's handwriting is terrible. And on the list, it said, clean the victim table. Okay. Now, when I write my K's and just kind of mesh words together, it kind of looks like a V. So he's like, I don't know what a victim table is. And it was the kitchen table, but he didn't want to do the hard work. So I clean it. I don't know what the victim table is. Well, oh, let's move on. And this is what we do with Christ. We like, look at it. This is what he's like. Ah, it is what it is. But Jesus is far more compelling. Peter King said this week on Dan Patrick, he said, we don't watch sports because we know what's going to happen. We watch sports because we don't know what's going to happen. And as we follow the person of Jesus, we're compelled to go, he's being so counter to the people of his day that they're angry and they crucify him for it. This is amazing. And so we're going to slow down. We're going to read these encounters and we're going to do our best to go, oh, oh, I see it. Wow, wow, I see it. Okay? So let's start Luke chapter 7. Let's get right into it. Fair amount of text to cover. Uh, pretty good amount uh, to unpack, but I'm feeling good with where we're at. Uh, just so you know, as we go into this uh, accounts, this is right after, for, you're familiar with the story, where Jesus heals the centurion's servant. Okay? So the centurion says, Hey, uh, I, you don't need to come to my house. You know, I'm a man of authority as well. If you just say 
uh, this person's healed, they'll be healed. I, I get it. And so Jesus is like amazed by the faith. And then from there, he's heading down towards this town uh, in uh, Nain, which we'll read right now in verse 11. Soon after, he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him. As he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a considerable crowd from the town was with her. So let's just build some context so we can look at the person Jesus rightly. Uh, Nain in Hebrew sounds a lot like the word pleasant uh, in Hebrew. So it's, it's meant to be this quaint little town. It's not very large, a little less than 1,000 people at this time. Uh, and, and he's walking, and, and based on where he's coming from and when traditionally a funeral would be at this time, it's probably about 6 p.m. It's towards the evening, right? Uh, sun's starting to set, and he's walking into Nain. And as he's walking in, people are walking out. Now, there's a, a few words I want you to look at. Look at the followers of Jesus in verse 11. They're described as a great crowd. They're coming towards Nain, right? And then look at verse 12. Um, coming out of the town, what do you see? A considerable crowd. So you have all these followers of Jesus walking towards Nain, and then all this considerable crowd walking outside of Nain. Jesus and his people walk in the middle of a funeral procession. So they obviously move to the side, very similar to maybe the way we would uh, see stop, you know, as funerals go through, uh, and, and uh, people stop at the stoplights, kind of similar idea, but they're obviously walking. Now, what you're going to get, just again for, for context here, what you're going to get here is uh, you have all these women first with the mom up front, and behind them is going to be the dead body in this wicker basket, okay? Now, this is important because uh, this man was less than 24 hours dead. I mean, by Jewish standards, they're supposed to have this body in the ground within 24 hours. And so here's this body uh, in this wicker basket. It was just on the floor, most likely in the home. Nails were clipped, hair was cut, dressed, hands folded over, kind of similar to the way we'd understand a casket now, then put in this wicker basket and then carried outside of the town to where uh, he would be buried or put into a tomb. So Jesus walks in the middle of this, uh, seeing this, the, the women are wailing, and then I want to slow way down because we're going to start to get some interactions of this. Um, I want us to notice a couple things about who we're going to interact with, okay? So again, look at your Bibles, look at verse 12. This is describing the crowd again, uh, and this is what it says. As he drew near uh, to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, okay? So we have this man who I just described based on the funeral procession. The only son of his mother... And she was a widow. Okay, so let's just know with what we got here. Um, this man was the only son. Maybe the previous siblings had died or just quite literally the only one born. Here is this woman. She's losing her only son and she's already lost her husband. Now, if it's not enough just to feel the weight of death, you and I do not fully understand this culturally. She is lower than a dog at this point. You've got to understand at this point, when she lost her husband, the only hanging on she had to still for someone to take care of her and her to have any cultural status at all was her son. Now, the word that's used is not like a little boy. He was a man, somewhere in teenage to about 40 years old. There's another word, technia in Greek, that describes child. This isn't a boy. Some young man was taking care of this woman, and she just lost him, okay? And so there's this widow who lost her son is the, the imagery that we got. So we can kind of get that. So verse 13, this is Jesus now uh, um, engaging with this woman. Let's see how, how he does this. Okay, let's slow way down. The first couple words in verse 13. And when the Lord saw her. Okay, I want to stop. Now for us to go over the next hundred days to do to look at Jesus, we're going to have to do this. And some of it's going to feel weird, right? Um, but there have been practices for uh, at least 
a thousand years, things called like Electio Divina, where we're forced to slow down and look at the text. Um, and Jen Johnson describes it as smelling the text. We want to see the text in a different way. And so we just casually read the words, and the Lord saw her. And in Greek, it's the word see, the way that we would use the word see. But let's talk about what's going on right here, because I think there's a misunderstanding of the way that the Bible was written. It's not like um, that Luke just wrote these things down, and then Jesus came back and added details. Yeah, yeah, and then I saw her at this point. No, no, no. He is, if you go back to Luke 1, 1 through 3, he's looking on people who has firsthand encounters as they're, as they're watching Jesus. Jesus is doing something for him to notice, for the people to notice that Jesus sees this woman. Now listen, if I'm over here and I'm looking at someone very specific over there, can you tell who I'm looking at? Those of you in the back, back crowd, can you tell who I'm looking at right now? Raise your hand if you think I'm looking at you. Raise your hand. I'm looking at Melissa Cosby. That's right, Melissa. Yes. Okay. All you raise your hands. You're wrong, Andrew. You just wanted the attention. Okay. Now listen, there's only maybe 250 people in this room right now, and I'm looking in this direction, and I'm above. Now imagine if I was like at the same level. It would be very difficult to notice Jesus is looking at this woman. There's something going on. He sees her, right? He's looking at her. Take a moment and just, what does that do for your soul? Just hear that. Listen, very like, if you have to close your eyes, just listen to this. Jesus is saying, I see you. I see you. And, and I don't mean just in like, oh, he's, yes, he sees. But I mean, quite literally, he's looking at you right now. He sees you. And amidst thousands of people, Jesus sees this woman. And when the Lord saw her, <clears throat> he had compassion on her. Again, it's not like um, this is written in a vacuum. Jesus is either exhibiting something, and I, uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit, shown here to Luke and those who are sharing this story, Jesus may be moist eyes, uh, silent, not responding. He sees her, and he has compassion. Now, this word compassion, I know, has been talked about from this stage before. I know I've talked about it before. John's talked about it before. It's splagania. Um, it's, it's, it's a word that's used in the Gospels a dozen times. And it's, it's uh, described with Jesus every time, whether it be feeding the 5,000 or whatever it is. But let me just talk about it again in case you're not aware of this. Spilgenia, as he has compassion, is like he sees her and he's, he viscerally reacts to what he sees. Like something within his bowels is moving. Matter of fact, uh, if you're in the, the med- uh, medical world, uh, the splagnic, I think is the way that it's word uh, used for, the splagnic nerve runs through your abdomen. It's what controls your diaphragm. This is like, this is here you have Jesus now, like in the, in, in the gut of who he is, is like visceral reaction. His body is having a reaction to this woman. He sees her and he just breaks. Now, you got to understand, listen to the person of Jesus in this moment. He doesn't just have sympathy. Man, that's terrible. He enters into her brokenness. He has empathy. Like Frank even uses this term, interpathy. He's like, I'm the same length. Because uh, process this. What would, what would you feel if you lost your, your, your only child? The Bible actually talks about this. Listen to Jeremiah Chapter 6, verses 26. Um, this is how God gives a feeling of what the people are to feel when they've sinned, like how bad things are should be. This is the example that he uses. Oh my God, or oh my people, put on sackcloth and roll in ashes, mourn with bitter wailing as for an only son, for suddenly the destroyer will come upon us. 
God's example is to say, you want to know how bad pain is to feel. What would it be like for you to lose your only son? That, like God gets that emotion. He understands that emotion. So those of you who are parents, think what it would be, not just to lose a child, but your only child. What would you feel? You, you know so much, like we know what this feeling, it, you don't have to have a child, you've been broken up with, you've been hurt, you've had someone die. Listen, you know what this gut feeling feels like. You don't want to eat, you don't want to talk, you don't want to exist. You, you just feel within the core of who you are, emptiness. And Jesus doesn't just from afar see this woman who is not just a story of a a woman who's lost her son, but now lost everything. He enters into her brokenness and he has a visceral reaction to it. And it's called compassion. Something moves him. He sees her and he has compassion. And then it goes on to say this. And he said to her, Do not weep. Okay. So he sees her. He has compassion. He feels something towards her. He moves towards her and he goes to her and he says, do not weep. Now, this isn't Jesus doing the opposite of what I just said, not having empathy, like get over it. You're going to be fine. But imagine, I mean, if you have a child who even like something bad happens to this child and they're crying over it, you say to them, right? This is the same exact thing. Don't cry. It's going to be fine. Candace and my mother-in-law, Dawn, took uh, uh, Anna, our youngest daughter, to Costco yesterday. By Candace's account, Anna dropped some type of lemonade and was just like, game over. Starts crying in the middle of Costco. I was there. I would have spanked her, but that's a whole other story, okay? <laughs> Regardless, she's crying, right? And what can Candace tell her in that moment? Listen, sweetie, it's going to be okay. We, Costco gives out samples all day long. We'll just get another sample, Right? Because Candace is aware of the bigger picture, she's allowed to speak into Anna's life and go, it's going to be okay. Hear me. Jesus has compassion. He enters into the brokenness, even though he knows it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. So he looks at her and says, it's going to be okay. I've got this. Death is, is not bigger than me. What's crazy about Jesus saying this is, Jesus can say it's going to be okay because he knows his mom's going to weep over him. How crazy is that? That that, that Jesus, on the way to the cross, his mother weeps for him, and he dies, which makes it okay for this widow. Amazing. And it goes on, verse 14. Then he, Jesus, came up and touched the beer. I was going to call it bear, but you never disagree with the way Sam pronounces something up here. Beer. Um, and the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak. So Jesus goes up to the palm bearers and they're still moving. Apparently the crowds around because then they stop. He has this interaction with the mom. They then stop, right? And this is uh, what we get. The bearer stood still. And so he says, goes to the man. He says, get up, rise. And this dead man, younger man who was dead rises from the dead. So I want to, um, I know I'm not really like, I don't show videos or pictures, because uh, I don't, it's just, I don't know, I just don't. Um, but I'm going to try to find a picture that is not like the Mormon view of what the, like all white people, I'm going to try to find a picture of like, this is what, but I want to show a picture of what this moment would look like. Um, I see, I noticed they're too far to tell what ethnicity they are. That was clever on my part. Um, 
Although Jesus' beard, I think, is red in this picture. But regardless, this is like the image. I was trying to like, how we would use our imagination as the people are coming out of Nain. Um, this would be the image that I think we would see take place, right? Jesus' followers are going towards the city. They're in this. I don't think it's, I think it's a wicker basket. I would argue it's a wicker basket. But then this dude who's wrapped up rises from the dead. This is the image that we would get. Like people would lose their mind, right? This is crazy, and I know it's always used when Jesus like raises Lazarus, but I mean, legitimately think about this. You're, you're at a funeral and you're at the burial part where the, the casket's going to go down. They're going to put the care. And he just like lifts up the casket and gets up. That's weird. That's the whole bizarre thing that happens. And this is what takes place, right? And so we get, then uh, Jesus does this and the dead man sat up and began to speak. And then it says this statement, which is really interesting. And Jesus gave him to his mother. Now, again, this isn't the word where it's a child, where Jesus would pick up a child. Um, Again, there's a Greek word called technia that is for the word child. This is a different word describing a young man. Um, This young man is more than capable um, of going to his mother on his own. So let's say he gets off, helps him wrap up. Jesus walks this young man over to his mother. Okay, this may feel like that statement's wildly telling because jesus symbolically gives back life as he hands this man over to this mother now i need you to see the humility of jesus in all of this because everything jesus does is yes and amen for the glory of god there's no question first and foremost it is to bring glory to his father yes and amen but in doing this hear me he keeps the attention and this this whole process on her like, in that moment, he, like, he just raised someone from the dead. What's up? Right? No, no, no. He's not interested in what's going on. Like, he takes them in, and he, I felt what you felt, and I wanted to make it better. I felt what you felt, and I wanted to make it better. I mean, feel, like, look at the humility of Jesus in this moment. He's, he cares deeply for this woman enough to keep, the, to keep moving towards her. Now, the next part of these texts is, is pretty interesting because Jesus is doing a, a lot of cool things, but here's what we can recognize. Jesus is always doing a hundred other things that we can't even see in this, and here's uh, a few of them. Um, if we were in, um, let's say, Buffalo, in the United States, and we're in Buffalo, uh, and let's say this year the Bills, the Buffalo Bills, went to the Super Bowl, which is impossible. They didn't make the playoffs. I'm feeling they're never going to make the playoffs, but they didn't make the playoffs, um, and they get to the Super Bowl. And as they make it to the Super Bowl, uh, the first quarter, they start bad. They start down 21 to 0. I promise you, whether you are a sports fan or not, it doesn't matter. If you grew up in Buffalo, everyone together would sigh the same words at the same time as the end of the first quarter goes. Simple two words, not again. Not again. Now, some of you in this room have no idea why they would say that. And that's fine. Some of you are sports fans might know why they would say that. But if you grew up in Buffalo, you would know why they would say that. Because in the 90s, they went to the Super Bowl four times in a row and lost every single time. Okay? And I was a Bills fan. So I'd get a, for Christmas, I would get a football for Christmas. I would bet that football against somebody else's basketball and I would lose it in the Super Bowl. I say, no, this year I'm going to keep the football and get the basketball. And I lost four footballs in a row. I would know. Okay? Now, if you grew up in Buffalo, you would, 
We do the same thing here. You grow up here, you remember, like if it's a hot summer, you go, yeah, but remember in 2006 when it was hot? Or there's a crazy storm and you go, oh, remember 2011, that one storm? We who grew up here remember the history. We lived it. We know it. This is true of Nain. As the procession walks out of Nain, and here's this dead young man, this is not the first time somebody was raised from the dead. There was two other times in the Old Testament, only two. And it was Elijah and Elijah. And Elijah raises a young man from the dead two miles from where Jesus is standing. The people in that moment know what's going on. And this is why they make the declaration in verse 16. Fear seized them all and they glorified God saying, a great prophet has risen among us. They know. This is Jesus being correlated to Elijah. Whoa. They see this. But beyond that, they also correlate him to being God. Listen to this in verse, at the end of verse 16. As I say, a great prophet has risen among us. And then verse 17. A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him spread through the whole of Judea, and all the surrounding country. It's not there. There's the end of our text. The statements, again, God has visited his people, is so beautiful. Because let me just put this in front of you if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. What we believe to be true about God is found in Jesus. Meaning, what would God do is what Jesus does. Do you understand? So, so every action that Jesus does, every word that Jesus says, is how God acts on earth. We could know what God is and how he acts by looking at the person of Jesus. Because he is God. Now, the people see this. So now we can work it in reverse. If God, or if Jesus, is the exact image, the, the imprint of God... Then Jesus interacts with this widow, this someone who is suffering, and cares. Then hear me, it's a simple equation. And everybody in this room, especially those of you who are hurting, need to hear it. Then God cares. He cares. If Jesus, now let's just let's make it like more theological. If God was on the earth right now, and he, he's in your mind, right? Let's just pretend he's in your mind right now. He knows what you're going to worry about when you leave here. He knows what you're stressing about with family. He knows what you're worried about in that relationship, in those finances, in, in your personal life, in your vocation. He knows, hear me, he cares. He cares. And as we look at the person of Jesus in this first encounter, we recognize he has compassion. He cares. So what I want to finish with is, um, the two things that I think the, the verse 17 finishes with. That if, if it's true that, yes, Jesus raises this person from the dead, but God cares, that report, that Jesus raised someone from the dead and that God cares, this report is the report that leaves this town. This report is the report that spreads throughout the land. This report is the reason you know and follow Jesus Christ. Because things like this left the town. They went on mission. And so we have to ask ourselves, for the next 100 days, what are we supposed to do with the person of Jesus? And I'm going to try to do my best to always give you two things. One, um, 
let's look at Jesus and see this is how he acts. This is who he is. And the second, what do we do with it? What do we do with this? So the two things that I want to give you. Um, the first thing is we can know the person of Jesus everywhere he goes brings life. Everywhere. He's healing the dead, or he's raising the dead. He's healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's feeding the hungry. Um, everywhere sin finds its little tentacles, it makes someone go hungry. Everywhere sin finds its little tentacles, it makes someone sick. Everywhere sin finds its little tentacles, it causes sin to, to permeate in family and in your mind. Everywhere that's going, everything that, that sin is doing, everywhere Jesus is, sin is not. He is pushing back darkness. But he's not just doing it in a vacuum. Do you understand? When he's looking at you and he's saying, stop looking at the screen. It's not because he's removed and he has some ontological law just sitting there. It's because he has a visceral reaction to know what that sin is doing to you. And you think it's bringing you something, but he has the bigger picture and he knows it's a lie. When you're suffering in this moment, he enters in and doesn't just go, hey, I made things well. One day you're going to be with me for all of eternity. He enters in and hear me. He knows what sin is doing and he says it's going to be okay. You don't have to cry. He enters into that. Which means if we are followers of Jesus Christ, we enter into brokenness. And if it's true of verse 17 that this message spreads, this report spreads from that land, then it should be true that the kingdom of God as it exists in Redemption Peoria should spread to our neighborhoods, to our classrooms, to our workplaces. And not just um, like out there ethereally. Let's go back real quick, and this is where I'm going to finish with like hard, not, like hard ways to do this. So, so this is what I mean. When you go to your, your job tomorrow, or you're at home tomorrow, or you're in class tomorrow, wherever you are tomorrow, with friends, family, whatever it is, this is, this is the example that I think Jesus gave us. When you see brokenness, sin anywhere, do not take the path of comfort. Verse 12, draw near. Do not take the path of comfort and turn away. Verse 13, see it. See the brokenness. He doesn't look away. He sees her. Verse 13 again, don't just take the path of comfort. Feel what they are feeling. Enter into their brokenness. Have compassion. Verse 13 again, give them hope. Do you understand? Oh, it's so frustrating because the people who grew up in church hear that and are like, yeah. But those of you who didn't grow up in church, specifically those of you who've been saved in the last like, couple years, you talk to a new believer, they're like, what? Like, this is crazy. Well, this has existed the whole time? Like this? And it's like, yeah, that's always existed. No, you have, you're laying your head down at night, not worried where you're going to spend eternity. That's not true for everyone. So when some pain comes, when sin enters in, when they feel the weight of brokenness, this is all they have. Hear me, give them hope. Tell them they don't have to cry. Verse 13, again, as I said, do not weep. And then the last one is where I'll I'll leave us, and it's um, the overarching tone of the text, and it can be missed if we're not careful. Um, This is not always planned. The word behold is, is, is weird as we start the text in verse 11. Jesus is walking with his crowd, with his people, and behold, he sees this woman. 
Now, we would argue in God's sovereignty, I don't doubt for one moment that Jesus had this planned, but you have to think that the disciples, as foolish as they come across many times in the Gospels, they're going, yeah, it's a funeral procession. Like somebody has died, it's over. And, and hear me, this is, this is important, because it's off agenda. So I can tell you to be compassionate, draw near, see them, and, and give them hope, but, but let me just encourage you with this. Those things are never going to come at a time of convenience, right? So you want to have lunch by yourself and you see them and they look really lonely and you know something's going on in their, their life. Hear me, but you really want to have lunch by yourself. It's never going to be convenient ever to be compassionate and intern to someone's brokenness is never going to be convenient, but it's worth the cost of comfort. And if we're followers of Jesus Christ, we, we do what he has done. We follow his example. We see his person and it's so good. And so I want to encourage you with this redemption Peoria for us as a church. Um, I know everyone looks back and looks forward to 2019 back at 2018. We've been doing this as a staff. We did it a few times. I'm just telling you, um, from our perspective as elders, I know I am, and we are wildly encouraged. Like if we're going to go down and we're going to go down as like 2017, we had our season of Advent as uh, uh, adoption, having a, a hard press into adoption. And now it's like all, like Candace and I are just sitting there. We're like uh, talking and it's like, hey, did you hear so-and-so adopted? And I'm like, what? Right? Like dozens of children are being adopted. We as a church are entering into that brokenness. Now the Bates, it's like half of the kids that we've adopted. But, but regardless, regardless, we have chosen to enter into that brokenness. And it's like story after story. Did you know one of the accounts was somebody in the Ellis community had a dad who had kidney failure and was going to die. Someone in that community gave their kidney to this person's dad. She didn't even know who the dad was. You know, giving a kidney is the epitome of splagania. It's quite literally giving your guts away. This is beautiful. I've seen it over and over and over. If we're going to continue to be defined by that, yes and amen. Let's do it. Let's follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and your grace towards us. Thank you that um, we are aware because of Luke chapter 7 that you have compassion. Um, you, you care deeply. Your, your bowels are moved in such a way that it hurts, that there's empathy there. You enter into that, and um, we're really grateful for that. We see brokenness all around us, and we recognize, God, you are a God who is Emmanuel, that you have entered in, you have become flesh. You know what it means to feel the weight and the pressure and the sorrow of this world. And here you are, putting in front of us this path that you have walked. And it is not easy to enter into brokenness. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help every person in this room to see those who have lost life. Maybe not physical life, but they have lost life and they feel the weight of death. They feel the pain of this world. I pray we would stop our agenda. We would see those people we would be moved with compassion and we would speak hope into their life. Help us. And lastly, God, I'm encouraged. Encouraged by what you continue to do time 
uh, it's just not enough for us to talk about the money that count that you've given me to see for our church, that we continue to give as individuals and as a church, the time that we continue to give, um, body parts. It's crazy. It's crazy. The whole thing's crazy, God, that you would use us in this way. Thank you so much for it. Continue to guide us as we enter into um, caring for orphans, caring for widows, caring for those who are thirsty, caring for those who are hungry, caring for those who are in jail, caring those for, for those who don't have homes and are lost. Let us enter into that brokenness. Let us see it well. Let's not be shy. Let us not grab onto comfort in those moments. We love you. We praise you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.